This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone. This week, I'm delighted to be joined on the Future of Security Operations podcast by Arthur Barnes, Senior Director of Security Operations at Oracle, the world's largest database management company. Arthur is a seasoned cybersecurity leader with approximately 20 years of experience and has worked at Pearson, Dell, and MS. He's contributed to the ANISA Cloud Procurement Guidelines, a practical guide aimed at the procurement and the governance of cloud services. And to top it all off, he's in the process of completing his MBA. Welcome to the podcast, Arthur. Oh, absolutely lovely to be here, Thomas. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the mission of Oracle? Uh, so, uh, myself. So, as you said it, I'm a, I, I am a passionate security professional. Um, I love what I do. Um, genuinely thrilled. Don't please don't tell anyone, but I probably would do this if they didn't pay me. Um, in terms of what I'm doing at Oracle, I don't have a lot to do with the database stuff. That's a whole different thing. Oracle is so much more than um, a database company. It has acquired organizations like Cerna. Uh, the bit I work for is actually um, Oracle Advertising, um, which counts uh, Amazon and um, Facebook as its competitors. It delivers uh, advertising solutions around the world. And as we all know, the internet is basically powered by advertising. Um, I've been there for three years and had I'm having an absolutely brilliant time working with a global team, so folks in the US, uh, Europe, and uh, in India. Awesome. I'm going to dig into a whole load of that stuff uh, a little bit later on, but you've got a whole lot of experience that I want to dive into a little bit beforehand. So you've worked in government, you worked in defense, you've worked in consulting, and you're now working in the private sector. Can you tell us just a little bit about that journey, where you started, uh, and I suppose how, how you got into security in the first place? So um, it sounds amazing, 20 years in security. 20 years ago, security was a little bit of a, more of a Wild West than it is today. Oh, okay. It's, um, <laughs> so I was uh, working as a uh, kind of Microsoft solutions engineer, doing very, you know, completing things like the dreaded MCSE. And I was tapped on the shoulder by someone who said, look, we're thinking of starting up a little, we want to start selling firewalls. We want to get into the security market thing. We think it's going to be big. They tapped me on the shoulder. I went, okay, that sounds like, that sounds like fun. And um, I spent a little bit of time uh, helping to sell and configure firewalls. And then I joined a consultancy and um, I've touched on this before. They seemed to have an attitude of, Whatever you want to do, we'll enable it. So I learned how to be a pen tester there. Um, we did consulting, class consulting in government. Uh, it was a bunch of very, very, it was really exciting. A bunch of amazing people have all gone on to do very stellar things um, in the industry. And from there, having they were able to, when you're consulting in government, it's easy to jump into the world of government not long thereafter. Once you've done some work um, in the private sector, again, 
consulting at that time was an opportunity to meet lots of friends, network, do really interesting things when security was not nearly as mature as it is now. Um, you know, checkpoint firewalls had just about changed the world, that to give you an idea. Pen testing mm-hmm. was all about the network. It was really extraordinary. And I think what I've tried to do throughout my career is say yes to the next opportunity. Um, so when someone has come along and said, do you want to do this? If the challenge is interesting enough, I don't ask myself, am I good enough for this? I'm interested. I will learn. And because I've kind of matured as the industry has matured, I I hope I've managed to keep pace. So that has offered me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And um, I think a lot of this has just been, I've been very lucky. I've been at the right place at the right time. Um, and I genuinely am really excited by the work that I'm doing now. And I have been able to say that, I think, for pretty much all of the 20 years I've been doing this. That's, yeah, it's, it's awesome when you're extremely privileged to have that experience working with, I suppose, such a diverse range of clients, but also such a, I suppose, yeah, in so many different areas and so many different domains of security. Like, you've obviously seen security, like, evolve um, yeah, massively. So you again, like pen testing is still a massive thing, but there probably wasn't as much red teaming. I know you spent a lot of time in forensics as well. Like, how do you how do you describe the state of security today compared to? Yeah, like obviously you said it's more mature compared to five ten years ago. So um, I think that in some ways we're still fighting the battles of twenty years ago with frac- with better tools. So mm-hmm. the, you know, look at the OWASP top ten and look at it five years ago, ten years ago. <laughs> okay. Um, we have we all were promised when we went to the cloud that security would be dealt with by the, the cloud would solve security. Clearly that is not the case. Um we know we're all moving to containerized next gen solutions. Will that solve security? I have I have questions. Um the you know, we're abstracting our the, the way that things happen further and further away from us, from the data center to the cloud, from the cloud to containerized Kubernetes environment, you know, I don't know what, what's next after that. Um, the challenges are very much still the same, though, which is um, people. So everyone is struggling for talent, but everyone is still asking for three to five years experience for an entry level job. Um if you have a small team bringing on someone new and, you know, the experience that I had of being able to kind of, you know, treat security as a giant personal sandpit is not typical. And it's certainly not typical now. You know, if we, if you, if you're brought onto a team, you're expected to be delivering day one and that's very difficult. Um, Security teams are still considered, I think, to be a cost of doing business. Um, for most organizations, we have a security team. Why? Because we're told that that is the right thing to do and that's how we're going to do it. Our lawyers say it's very important. Um, and I think that, um, like any skill set, it is always going to take you three or four years to get to a point where you're competent and useful. And every organization is really, really wary of investing in new folk. Um, there are ways to accelerate the development of people. There are ways to deal with the, the challenge of a million new technologies, you know, uh, and a million new opportunities for, um, you know, attackers. The, the, you know, I think it's 50 new vulnerabilities a day, three of which are exploitable is still the number. Um, so, yes, it is, it is. In many ways, it's better. In some ways, it's worse. And it's really amazing that some things have stayed the same. Because weirdly, security is um, always about us. Organizations haven't changed to address security. 
they haven't said, right, we're going to remove cross-site scripting um, as a problem for us by doing X, Y, or Z. Security are there to deal with this. In many ways, we're kind of like the fifth or sixth emergency service for folks, right? Uh, this has been a problem. Security will deal with it. So I hope that answers it. It's um, Yeah, as I said, it's, it's kind of, I think the biggest thing that's changed in my mind is just my perspective on this stuff. Right at the beginning, I think I suffered from very much true believerism that security was the most important thing. Now I get that we're we're part of, you know, we're often a centralized function, a big organization that's just trying to do its best to make as much money as possible. Yeah. And in many ways, a lot of people view security, a lot of security professionals view security as a uh yeah, like obviously as a passion, but they 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 believe fundamentally that you have to do absolutely everything to keep the company secure and you should be doing as much as you can but ultimately there's things like work-life balance and there's things like you know there, it's there's acceptable business risks and you can't not everybody has unlimited budget and even if you did have near unlimited budget it'd still be really hard to prevent every single uh every single if as you said you know hey there's 50 new vulnerabilities discovered today prevent all of those and you can build an amazing team and you can put in place a huge amount of processes and automation to solve it you can't ultimately you're never secure you're only securing and the sooner you re- i think the sooner you realize that um the better i want to touch on though uh something that you kind of brought there that that a lot of people yeah they're still trying to enter the industry but they need like 3 to 5 years of experience um you have had a huge amount of experience but you've also presumably interviewed a lot of people and been in a position to hire a lot of people how do you how do you go about or how have like Oracle or any of the other companies you've gone about uh kind of trying to solve that challenge so one of the things particularly for entry-level physicians is um i see a lot of entry-level folk who are prepared to say i am expert in the following five domains okay and you go okay great so i'm going to ask you about these things and a good one is always forensics um you said i was i worked in forensics for a long time i try forensics i've tried to get out several times and just pulled me right back in there's a shortage (laughs) of great even good forensics talent um I would always say this, and if I'm an entry-level candidate, please don't overstate your skills. It's so important, okay? It's okay to say, I have an interest in forensics, because what I will then say is, tell me how that, how does that manifest to you? You, Do you have your own YouTube channel? Do you have a YouTube channel that you follow? What, you know, have have you built a a platform at home for doing, you know, forensics on, uh, you know, on on, um, spinning rust, uh, 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 PCs, laptops? Do you're interested in mobile forensics, cloud forensics? What what about, and if the answer that comes back is, yeah, sort of, I don't know. Then you know you've you've effectively undermined yourself in front of the interviewer. It's okay to say I'm passionate about it. I want to learn more about it, um, but okay. And I think that the other thing that I'm looking for, weirdly, is not necessarily brilliant technical aptitude. That will come with experience. I'm looking for folks who will say things like, "Look, I've done my degree. I understand this is where I am in the world. I." You know, and I know that I have a lot to learn. Um, with that in mind, let me talk to you about how I learn and acquire new skills. You know, what I'm prepared to 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 you know to give to your organisation. Rather, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, my son's going through university. He's finishing his degree this year, and the first thing I said to him was, "Go and get some AWS certs. Yeah. Go and get some OCI certs, because it will show employers that you are interested in this." I actively have discouraged him from joining security because I think I want him to do something else for a little while before he makes the jump. Um, and again, 
if you want to be in security, there are so many routes in that don't involve necessarily going for, you know, um, a security oh. gig. You know, go and work. The number of brilliant people I've hired from help desks who understand how to solve problems, how to interact with customers, who understand how to write a ticket, how to keep track of a problem, how to solve a problem. Those are incredible skills. Um, you know, time on a help desk is no is no impediment to joining a security organization. With my son, I've asked him to spend more time. He's doing a degree in uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I have said, those are things that will change the world. But if you join security, you'll, you know, uh, um, if you join a security organization as an entry level candidate in that world, you'll do a lot of relearning. Um, go and do some stuff in AI and ML and maybe see how you can apply that to security and come at it from that angle. You know, there are different ways of doing this. Um, I speak to a lot of people who are brilliant at networking, asking the right questions, really good at interviews. I think the most important thing, if I, the one most important thing, if I said to any candidate, do you have a mentor who's already in the industry? Have you reached out to people? You know, there are a million things that you can do. And I think that the worst thing that you can do, and this is true of so much in life, is by trying too hard. And if that sounds counterintuitive, I don't need to be impressed by an individual and the first time I meet them. I need to have a sense of what they're going to be like to work with. <laughs> but that's really what I'm looking for. Are you going to add to the team? Anyway, sorry. I, no, it's a, it's a great answer. There's so many, so many different aspects that that kind of, well, first of all, at the very end, that culture ad piece, are you going to add, add to the team is really, really important. But it's also like, yeah, you're, you're like, we're not looking for, or very rare are we looking for that exact expert for this uh, this position sometimes don't get me wrong there's definitely there's definitely need for it but if you're trying to get into the industry a lot of the time it's the like hey i've got a, a broad sense of what's needed i've got some experience or i've got like a degree but it's like awareness being able to say no so that i can trust that actually you know what you don't you'll tell me that you're not you need more tools or you'll need more support in order to do this can i just add uh, one thing yeah, go for it. sorry yeah. to interrupt you thomas one i was interviewed for a consultancy role and i was talking to someone very senior and i was at best mid-level and um he asked me a bunch of questions that I remember, the irony being it was about database security. And he asked me about, what do you know about this? And I went, I know literally nothing. I'd rather. And he went, great, fine, move on. And at the end of the interview, he said, look, I like people who tell me what they don't know. You're not going to get me into trouble. You're not going to talk nonsense to a customer, to a colleague. That's fine. Admitting what you don't know is a very useful thing. I now know what you don't know. Great. I did get the job as well, which is probably helpful. And possibly, yeah, possibly as a result of that. Yeah, I was going to say that pretty much that exact same thing that there was a one of my the best people I've ever hired straight out of college. Um, I was asking them about yeah a bunch of different things they'd learned, and then I was asking them about like EDR alerts. Uh, so. Yeah, like endpoint detection response alerts for for those those people that don't, that aren't familiar with that, that acronym. Um, and it was just like a very basic question, like, hey, you know, what happens if you detect some, uh, yeah, some you know, PowerShell encoded command or something like that on the laptop? He's like, I genuinely don't know much about the orders. And I was like, all right, let's try this from like that's perfect actually, but let's try it from first principles. Like, what would you do, or what could you think? And he just like went like one step, then two steps, and three steps, and four steps. And it was like I you don't know anything about this, but at the same time, I know now that you know how to like think laterally, go a little bit deeper and yeah, almost just like you will be able to learn and with a little bit of feedback and a little bit of coaching, you'll have no trouble with this. Anyway, yeah, I've tried to hire him multiple times uh, again in my career and he's moved on to fantastic, uh, fantastic places. Um, Anyway, so you also, however, have continued learning. So you recently just got an MBA. Uh, how's that helped 
or a why and b how has it helped i suppose i'm still working on it apologies still working, sorry. Oh, no 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 it's something that's entirely my fault i should have corrected you earlier but you know um the, the first thing that you learn uh, on any mba course is and this is and I, I can't recommend this book enough is act like a leader think like a leader by hermina ibarra okay and it talks about what it takes because uh, to be a leader and a lot of people think that once they are anointed into a management or a director role, that somehow they'll be inducted into a club and then all the, all the secrets will be revealed. And what this book talks about is if you do not act like the act up to the role that you want. So when I I had a conversation with someone recently about a promotion, they went from should we say uh, IC3 to IC4? And they said, what do you want from me now that I'm an IC4? And I said, no, you got this job because you act like an IC4. You act up to this level at all times, okay? Uh, you act up to this level consistently. And that in a nutshell is the concept of, um, you know, how to get promoted, how to develop, and what it takes to be a leader. I've, you know, when I've promoted people from individual contributor to manager, a lot of them have been leading without being in charge. A lot of them have been taking responsibility for things, for functions. And when you look at the psychology of leadership, which is very much the, the first part of any MBA, you do all of the, uh, you know, um, uh, talking about uh, balance sheets, the financials, how to read companies, you know, financial statements, all of those great things. They're all fantastic and useful from a security perspective. But the biggest single challenge I see in security, and it's one I've seen for a long time, is we promote often very brilliant engineers into management positions yeah. that they are not cut out for. We uh, will look for a, um, a CISO who is a right fit with the culture of the board, but may lack the necessary skills to understand what the mission of a CISO org is. So they say the right things. And I'm not thinking of any particular CISO, and I'm not thinking of any particular manager here. You can tell but me. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, brilliant engineers do not always great managers make. Okay. Um, and sometimes someone who is maybe struggling as an individual contributor um, is, in fact, just a frustrated leader. And there are ways to find this stuff out. And, and the MBA formalizes a lot of these, you know, a lot that you're uh, formalizes your understanding of what leadership and, and the difference between leadership and management is, um, provides you with, I think, a, 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 you'd be surprised how much of it is about reflective insight, you know, know thyself. If you don't know what your strengths and weaknesses are, then how can you lead? Because, you know, you're just a sounding box. You're just making noises, you know, um, admitting your strengths and weaknesses to your team, recruiting for your strengths and weaknesses. So where uh, the people that I recruit are often very different than me. I know what I'm like. And sometimes I need someone who is different than me, who is, you know, maybe has a different skill set mm -hmm. that's very complementary to mine. But I don't know that until I've thought about who I am and look at the, what I'm trying to achieve. Um, I think the biggest single advantage is it helps you talk to other people in the business. Um, we speak our own language in security. We think we don't, but we really, 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 really do. My favorite example is the word risk. If you ask us what, if you ask someone in security what the word risk means, you ask a project manager what the word risk means, and you ask a CEO what the word risk means, you get three different answers. 
okay and it's, it's things as fundamental as that it's understanding what the ceo means when he says risk what the project manager and what the security person says and helping honestly helping each, helping everyone understand that stuff and it does when you're studying management it does give you a certain degree of credibility with others who view themselves as professional managers and leaders rather than necessarily functional leads or you know technology executives or whatever else you know um one of my the, um, a mentor that i had at the last place was brilliant at explaining to me and was instrumental in me progressing to take an mba was instrumental in making that understanding very clear to me if you sit down with a ceo and you talk about your world in the language you're talking about he thinks you're that charming little security man (laughs) 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 that's not what you want anyway there you go so that's that's again a canned insight into why we need more professional leaders more 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 uh experts in management i think in security yeah, I really like that. There's again, there's so many different, uh, so many er- different areas that we could dive into there. I say this a lot, but long gone are the days of uh, security not being a partner to the business. You have to, especially as a security leader, uh, be able to talk business to the business and understand what risks are. Also, be able to make business cases and understand that, like, actually, yeah, there's there's going to be some prioritization and yeah, some collaboration that's needed. That it's not just security. Yeah, uh, security goes all the time. You have to be contributing to the top line now as well as the. Uh, as well as the bottom line. I want to um, dive in a tiny little bit to some of the work that you're doing at, uh, yeah, at Oracle. So you're like the Senior Director for Security Operations, but I can imagine there's a lot of different things, like, yeah, a lot of different like security operations teams at Oracle. What, what does the day-to-day look like right now? Okay, the day tends to, it either starts early or finishes late and often both, okay? Yeah. So we have... Um, monitoring platforms, response platforms. We have, um, I, I look after things like uh, pen testing, red teaming. Um, the in, the day will often start with, for me, with a handover from India to the UK. Um, now, we're very DevSecOps, so we we try and as much as we can, we'll, we'll rely on security engineering, our security engineering colleagues, and we love them dearly, but we are quite competent in terms of standing up services and capabilities. Um, so some of that will be, okay, this is where we are with this. Uh, here's what happened overnight. Uh, this is what the UK team is doing. And I try and spend my time, um, and I'm very conscious that as a as a senior person, um, I want to help people. So I will often leave meetings early and let the, the work commence. Um, that's not me being... I don't want to micromanage my teams. Yep. The last thing they need is me being present a lot. I have other things that I wish to do. So um, during the during the day, um, at the moment, I'm doing an analysis of some of the uh, excellent Oracle cloud native security tooling. Um, so some of this we wish to use more, some of which we wish to understand the roadmaps, some of it we wish to integrate with other tools. So um, spending a lot of time on that at the moment. And then in the evening, it's working with my US team. So again, um, some of this time is spent doing one-to-ones. I like talking to people and understanding um, the team. Um, you'd be surprised how often my one-to-ones don't touch on what are you doing, how are you doing, what are your problems, and are much more, okay, how are things with you? Are you actually enjoying I this? In the slightest. Yeah. <laughs> are you enjoying what you're doing? Is this challenging? What are your object? What are you trying to get out of being here? I give everyone the same little speech. Is security? You'll be here two or three years. Let's make it an amazing two or three years, and you go on to a company that's going to pay you so much money. I can't possibly match it. Let's let's do that together, rather than uh, have I squeezed the last ounce of enthusiasm out of you yet? <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of thing. And then in the evening, it'll be catching up on emails and slacks. 
if it's been a very late night, I will occasionally miss some morning meetings. And yeah, again, it's about conserving your energy throughout the week, throughout the month. A lot of that, because the other thing is when something bad happens, my team's job is to run towards the sound of the gunfire, right? We are ready to go. And if we're all completely exhausted, that does not work. You know, um, that way leads to bad tempered exchanges with people under pressure. So it's, a, you know, it's a, there's there's never two days that are quite the same. I kind of wish I could like dive into like to create threads in Slack or teams of each each different conversation here. Um, you said they're like squeezing the last out of joy out of the each team member and the, and that like people are being, yeah, people are exhausted and because of that like that sense of uh, inevitability around that next incident. What are you doing to address like those mental health concerns for like for a lot of people in the security industry? Or yeah, how, how, how would you brilliant. recommend approaching it? Okay, there's a Forbes article that I saw today that said that as a manager, you have as much impact on the mental health of your employees as their partner. Okay. I'd well believe it. Right, so do I. Um, So I am conscious that I am quite a high-energy individual and that when people are tired, I tend to moderate my interactions with them because – I know that, you know, um, when you are tired, the limitless enthusiasm of your cheery boss exhorting you on to further is not like, you know, further efforts is not likely to be the right thing to do. Um, How do we deal with this? First and foremost, we, um, I have, I'm lucky enough in Oracle that if I feel, for instance, that um, the team is dealing with too many things, I can ask for help from other teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I work as part of a much broader security apparatus and we try and dig one another out is required okay we all know that we don't need a burnt out team over there or a a team that's ready to quit over there so there is a last resort in terms of the day-to-day first thing that you're asked on a one-to-one with me is when is your next leave booked when is your next holiday everyone needs something to look forward to even if it's just a break from this place right i talk and normalize things like I am going on holiday, okay? If I am having a difficult day, if I am tired and I am mentally exhausted, then whilst I don't necessarily share the details with the team, I'm perfectly happy saying to them, look, guys, I'm exhausted. I'm going to need to take a little bit of time off. I have managers that can, you know, that are affected. You've got to normalize it. I don't need someone who is presenting a very strong front and then breaks, uh, you know, um, that that's not good for them. It's not good for me. It's not good for the business. So trying not to cast myself as this man of steel, I get tired. I mean, it's been a long week this week. I encourage my managers and my ICs to talk about this stuff. If you need time off because you are struggling, then take the time off. And when you come back, let us talk about how we got there and what we can do to avoid it. A lot of this stuff is very difficult because, you know, hiring is always going to be a challenge. I can't hire more people that easily. doesn't mean I can't. It just means, as with every tech company, um, you know, I can't just keep adding to the collective. I have to think about the people. Um, sometimes I have to reprioritize tasks for them and you know, take a little bit of pressure off. Sometimes the problem's external to work. People are having personal yeah. problems. And whilst, again, it's down to them how much of that they share, but if they say to me, look, I'm having problems with my spouse or problems with my parents or I'm having problems with my kids, look, then we can reprioritize some work. We can make life a little bit easier for them. But that we need to have those conversations. We can't pretend, you know, that these, are in, these aren't these are NPCs in a game with infinite life, infinite health that are just going to carry on to 
plodding along until whenever you know other human beings and we have to be quite empathetic about that if someone you know want and again i'm not a great believer in the idea well if you do all of that people will abuse the system never found that smart professional people who want to get on sometimes just need a little help and that's okay yep um there you go yeah i 100 with you I, I love like normalizing the conversation for me is the most the most important part and you clearly build a culture where that's acceptable and where it's encouraged and that makes yeah it just makes life so much so much easier uh, and yeah for the business as well you will like get payback um but like even if you don't it's still the right thing to do one of the things you were kind of talking about there as well was like you obviously have that that those incidents that are coming in but like there's monitoring but you're also a dev secops first organization and um, what are you doing to i suppose reduce the that kind of like sense of inevitability the, the manual time the time spent on those repetitive tasks that that does that do it does end up like forcing people just letting people churn the organization because they're they're not they're not learning they're not adding value and they're they feel like they're just you know dealing with the same problem in and out yeah the chat you know fighting off people who say the answer is chat gpt uh, i think it's the answer <laughs> to that one so tell, tell, yeah tell my ceo that he's like i'm all in so <laughs> So right, we are we are keen on automation. So every team I've ever built has a mix of security and non-security folks. Yep. Um, so in Pearson, we had you know uh, the world's greatest data scientist working for us, who was amazing, uh, who changed everything about how we think about data. Hello, Sarah, if you're listening. Um, the here I have brilliant folks who can code and script to automate things. Do they automate? We are, but I'm I'm actually kind of wary of a particular kind of automation. So let's just mm-hmm. be clear: undocumented scripts running stuff in your environment that do, that, that sweep away problems are a bad idea. <laughs> okay, everyone needs to know what's going on. It needs to be done properly. So we have solving things like audit burden through automation is a good thing, right? Getting yeah. a whole bunch of information together that you know you're going to be asked for, um, demonstrating that you are doing those things by providing the output and having a single place where an individual can look at all of this stuff is a really good thing. The day-to-day stuff, should, you know, most organizations should be automating as much as they can, but realizing not everything is automatable. And even if you automate it, you still have to go back and check, is the automation working? Is it still doing the same thing? Is it still talking to the system? Because someone's moved that system and no one told you. And now it's just a, a series of blank files in a folder. And when did that happen? Okay, you need to be able to manage this very carefully. One of the other things we do is we work with other teams to help them automate things. Because they don't often understand that they are presenting us with a problem. They think, well, we're giving security the data. That's all. Well, hold on a second. If you took one, you know, if you did this one more thing before you sent it, or if we automated this process and we both see some value out of this. um, I did this recently with, uh, did something with uh, someone from my team was working with the identity and access management team. And between the pair of them had a brilliant conversation both of whom thought that the other person was the problem and then they realized it was neither and yet they were able to sort out and automate stuff. Um, automation always is one of those things where people seem to think, well, you can just write a script and it will go out, the problem goes away. No, it doesn't. You know, we have to do this in a thoughtful, intelligent way. We do use automation platforms as well and, you know, provisioning and all of those good things. But, you know, n- there are no easy answers is the polite way of putting it. T- totally. I yeah, I can see. Uh, I can see you thought thought about it a lot. The, the the thing that I um 
that I always try to say to, to prospects and customers are is that well, first of all, you you know you can automate a program, you can automate a process, uh, so, but also that a lot of the time, and kind of referring to the the conversation that those that those two folks had, that the hard part is not like the, actually the automation, the automation can be relatively easy. It's getting the business buy and understanding the process so that you are both getting value out of it. Because if not, yeah, it will just be, Hey, we're creating tickets for somebody to look over, but nobody's agreed to look over these. And it doesn't actually end up being a, being a program or a process. It just ends up being a, yeah, a script or a, a story or workflow that's, that's doing nothing. Um, I want to move on to some, I suppose, slightly more, yeah, fun stuff. Uh, yeah, what's the most interesting incident that you've worked on? I'm careful to tell everybody you do not need to provide any like confidential information here, but I love hearing like war stories, like hey, a crazy incident that you may have worked on, and then also what what you learned from it because that's the that's the important part. Uh, so the one that I, I I tend to wheel out one in particular, which was when I was I was doing in a, a PC a forensic investigation for a customer PCI, and it was in a Nordic country, and um, the whole thing went horribly wrong very quickly. Um, what had happened was I it was uh, a large number of credit card numbers um, had been misappropriated um, by in a vast number of businesses. So it wasn't okay. just one thing. And it was a perplexing and really, really interesting uh, case. Um, and the common point of reference was an IT support company that was had gone rogue and actually I, was, I, was, I mean, I, you have no idea how incredibly pleased I was with myself when I worked this out. Um, but, but it then discovered, uh, after consultation with law enforcement, that the individual that ran this company had uh, a long history of uh, criminality, including violence. And um, once I had been given the information and a, lo- and a couple of local journalists were poking around the edges of the story and my name was uh, mentioned, um, I can remember leaving the country in about my, I'm not even bringing my luggage. I'm gone because I was concerned that life and limb was, was there was a genuine threat to my, my, and, and, and I think most people think that that is the life of a forensic investigator. I'd like to point out, no, we spend most of our time staring at lines and lines of data <laughs> and nothing exciting ever happens. We and are staring at the same lines yeah, over and over again. and over again. Yeah. And, you know, there are no thrilling reveals. There is no 30 minute, you know, this, uh, well, the guy on CSI Miami did that in 45 minutes. Most investigations take months. They are really hard. The people that do this are ridiculously detail-oriented, um, you know, focused on solving problems. What did I learn from that? First and foremost, if you pull out a thread, better be prepared for whatever comes back. Yep. I was not expecting that. I actually, that at that point, I stopped doing forensics pretty much altogether um, because I genuinely felt that, you talked about mental health, you know, being told by a policeman, look, we're a little bit worried about your safety is something that's fairly jarring to anyone who's well adjusted not something i necessarily lay claim to and you know i think people think in security that that's our life i promise you it really isn't um anyone that's that thinks that at entry-level security jobs you'll end up you know grabbing your passport grabbing whatever you can and leaving the room is part of the job it's not um the organization i work for provided amazing support and literally had the flight booked for me by the time i got to the airport 
and I was whizzed through and out and out of the country. Um, by the way, the whole thing was resolved. Um, it's one of those also, I have many, I have many about working in different parts of the world. I have um, I, I thought working at Pearson would be would be lots of fun and kind of you know great mission bringing education to the world. Only to discover that um, with a connection to every university in the world, certain regimes take a real interest in everything you're doing because they can use you as a highway to physics mm -hmm. research, which is a polite way of saying rocketry research, weapons research, all of these things that lead to, again, really fascinating interactions with federal agencies in the US who will, you know, getting a phone call from the FBI to say, we believe that the following accounts within your organization may have been compromised is a thing. And, you know, that's a phone call that takes a few minutes to process. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be one to uh, that's going to be one to top. I, I um, I the, the closest. It's not even. I, think I I worked in when I was working in eBay. Um, my job was like attribution and prosecution of large scale criminal organizations that were like abusing the platform, taking over thousands of accounts, uh, on eBay and PayPal, and like laundering millions of dollars in money. But we had a I had a colleague in Romania who was amazing, and I ended up writing a bunch of forensic reports and uh, criminal reports on like, hey, here's what's going on. And we went to Romania, or was in Romania a bunch of times actually, like working with law enforcement. And he was ex-law enforcement, ex-special forces, ex-US Secret Service. So he was like completely calm, completely cool in every situation. We went outside the police station one day and his car had a bit of a dent on it. And I was like, oh, that's bad. And he's like, yeah, just somebody obviously bashed into it. I was like, that's weird. Anyway, didn't do anything about it. And then like when we were in the next town the following day, he's like, yeah, the last time I was there, both my lights were smashed in. And I was like, Timmy, you definitely should have told me this before <laughs> before I was there. But anyway, I'll, uh, uh, yeah, there's so many questions I want to I wanna ask here, but uh, I'll finish up with one or two here. I, I know you were very briefly a CISO, but you also spent a lot of time working in like fast growing like security security organizations what's the number one piece of advice you'd share with others who are leading security teams in yeah today i mean i was a CISO of a you know, storage company that wanted to do security and it was lots of fun and it was you know it was hardly a you know it was a role where i learned a little bit about interacting with management i would say this if you really are passionate about security Going to small companies that are going fast is a really good idea yeah. because here's the really interesting bit. You'll get to do everything. And if you get to do everything, you learn and you are a desirable asset in the marketplace because if you are prepared to get your hands dirty, you know, if I need to write a policy, I can write a policy because I've had to write policies. If I, God forbid, anyone did want me to do a pen test, yes, I would do one. It would be slow and it would involve a fairly significant amount of Googling. But yeah, I can probably do that. If you want that very, if you want to find out what you're good at, you've got to try a lot of things. Fast-growing companies absolutely insist that you turn up, work hard, and try everything. That's the only way they can they can be a success. Um, I would always say the same thing, which is, by the way, stick around as long as it's fun. Don't don't stay because of some misplaced sense of, you know, a loyalty. Um, if you are enjoying this and you never want to leave wonderful i'm delighted for you if you are trying all these things and you're doing okay and yet you find that you know the task list is growing but the, the head count is shrinking you need to move on as quickly as you can you know um work but those are the most fascinating times i'm i'm you know i genuinely you know i'm i'm not as young as i once was i'm not sure anybody 
is but those first five ten years in an industry where you know where you say yes to everything and you can learn everything it's amazing but again the advice i would actually give to my own son i've given to my own son is while you're young go and try the startup stuff go and go and join a startup see what it's like go and join a company that's you know still in the first flush of youth to see what you can learn from that because there is a lot to take away five years from now what do you think security teams will look like uh tireder uh grayer hairs <laughs> uh more sleep deprived um i think the most important thing that we can do is start recruiting outside of the usual boys club uh you know post international women's day here yeah, um we need to look in other places for talent we need to think about how we bring talent on board we need to think about how we develop talent um I know that, um, I, again, I was reading something where there was a security get-together that was overwhelmingly uh, male. I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark that they were overwhelmingly Caucasian. Um, we need to start, re- we need to rethink what we're looking for and we need to start encouraging and engaging people who may be, because there's that beautiful thing, right? If um, a guy sees a, um, a job description, he's got uh, 10% of the attributes, he will apply for it. If a girl sees his job description and she's only got 90% of the attributes, she won't. Therefore, you know, there's a, there's a knack. We need to start addressing those issues. Um it's something where, I mean, again, uh, Oracle, we're trying very, very hard to do this. Um, everywhere I've worked, I've tried hard to do this. But I hope that in five years' time, the makeup of the teams will be different, um, that we will have a bigger talent pool to draw on, and that security will have grown up a little bit. And I don't mean that as being mean about security. I mean that we see how we can contribute to the organizational ecosystem how we can help our our you know our companies our organizations succeed um rather than maybe having a mindset of i'm you know defending this environment and that is my job and anyone who gets in the way is just a terrible human being it doesn't understand my glorious mission so i'm not saying that exists everywhere but there's enough of it around that it you know that that's a mindset that needs to be challenged I love it. And it's a really nice, positive way to, uh, to, to end here. Art, unfortunately, that's uh, all we're going to have time for today. If people want to follow you on your journey, what's the best way to do it? Uh, just via LinkedIn. Uh, there can't be many Arthur Barnes's out there. There are a few. I've actually connected with a few of them because I thought it was faintly amusing once. But you know, if you look for Arthur Barnes and Oracle, you'll find me on there. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope we have you on again at some stage in the future. Brilliant. Lovely to meet you, Thomas. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes automation platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.